Hello. Your ears are in the magnificent vortex of WOMR 92.1 FM, WFMR 91.3 FM. We are broadcasting from the historic schoolhouse on Wampanoag Territory and streaming worldwide to the ships at sea and to somebody sitting around thinking, I wonder what's on WOMR at WOMR.org. And today at this moment, which is uh, July in Provincetown, we are lucky enough, we've invited two, I don't know if it's a slur to call them whale heads, but two whale aficionados. We have from the Netherlands, and uh, Jeroen uh, Hoekendijk, and from uh, England, we have Philip Hoare, who's been on our waves before. And we're going to start out talking about orcas, but I don't know where it will lead us. So uh, may I invite you each to tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, shall we go alphabetically? Jeroen, um, would you like to go first and tell us a little bit about yourself, please? for our yeah. orca purposes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. So <laughs> my name is Jeroen. I'm from the Netherlands. Um, I'm working on my PhD research here. I'm a marine biologist. My research focuses uh, mostly on seals. Uh, and as you said, I'm uh, com- completely obsessed by uh, whales in, in all sorts and shapes in the historical aspects, the biology, the ecology, and, and so on. Oh, historically as well. Well, that's fantastic. And and uh, the other young man who's on our international call, where are you calling from? Uh, yes, I'm calling to you from sunny Southampton, uh, yes. which is rainy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, I am uh, Philip Hall, um, occasionally of the parish of Provincetown. <laughs> um, more than occasionally, actually. Yes. Um, and uh, that's where my... Uh, my whaledom was my whale headedness was born in Provincetown. And how and the two of you met, is that true here? That's right. Um your room was um were you actually volunteering on the whale watch or were you just pro Centre for Coastal Studies, weren't you, your room? Uh yeah, I did um two periods of uh, volunteer work at the Centre for Coastal Studies in Provincetown. Uh amazing experience. And oh, on wow. one of these one of these days um, uh, during the, the volunteer work, there was a, a small art exhibition uh, hosted by Philip. And I, I visited that and uh, we ended up drinking some wine and going out for a dinner. And <laughs> we couldn't stop talking that evening. And we're still talking, uh, I think, 10 years later. So. Wonderful. It was, all, yes? it was all, bo- all born in nappies, in fact. Ah. In nappies. But yeah, but we did. Uh, I think you remember, Mary, we did that show. Uh, for Centre for Coastal Studies, little um, gallery behind the squealing pig, and um, oh yes, 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 yeah, with with Pat De Groot and Sally, Sally's Brophy's work. Uh, uh, sorry, no, um, uh, Sally's partner. Oh, yes, Connie Hatch. Connie Hatch. Yes, Connie Hatch, yes, uh, yes. And Pat, uh, uh, and so yeah, and so Yvonne uh, came to uh, came to a talk there. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, so that's where it all started. So we're here because of any number of reasons, but the idea I have uh, that we're here to talk about is, are, is, will be uh, the orcas, because we are in orca land here, and uh, you two are very knowledgeable about such things. Uh, are there orcas nearby where you guys are? 
Oh, we have a truck uh, going by. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, sporadically, there, there, there's a resident population off Scotland, which oh. is not very not doing very well. But they come into the story a bit in a minute, which Jeroen uh, uh, will probably talk to you about. And, um, and my friend Angela Cocaine, who's the artist, you know, I work with. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, who, who stayed um, uh, in town, um, actually spotted two orca off the coast of two orca off the coast of Cornwall two weeks ago. So, wow. so they're about. Um, uh, and Jeroen, um, you you have occasional visitors, don't you? Yeah, most of the time when they see orcas in uh, in my country, they are in trouble. So the last two sightings of of live orcas were uh, both stranded. One uh, was a juvenile animal in the north of the country in the intertidal sea called the Warren Sea. And that animal was eventually, uh, uh, yeah, I, I should make a quote marks maybe, uh, rescued um, and brought into um, into captivity uh, where she was rehabilitated and uh, they decided she was unfit to be released back into the wild and she ended up in a marine mammal park. And the second orca was just last year and she was found stranded in the south and um, she was identified as belonging to one of the Iberian orcas that that occur around uh, the Iberian Peninsula off the coast of Portugal, Spain and into the Strait of Gibraltar. So what do you each know about orcas? What makes orcas, apart from the news, we'll move on to that a little sooner, a little later, but what is it about orcas that makes them stand up in your whale experience? I'll let you both have at that. Um, well, for me, they're, they're the first whale I ever saw, and I think it's the first whale most people see, um, uh, unfortunately, in captivity. Right. Um, I, I saw my first orca as my first whale back in the 1970s in a in the, in the Windsor Safari Park, um, which is a kind of a suburb of London. Um, <laughs> in something called the Royal Windsor Dolphinarium. It was as though the Queen personally owned these dolphins and orca, which she was keeping for her personal entertainment. But were they that, were it, they owned by the by royalty or was that just no, oh, no, okay. no, I think it was I think just, that was just a ma- marketing ploy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um but they um and it was the sight of this totally majestic animal, you know, the most probably one of the most successful mammals on this planet, an apex predator, this graphic black and white, almost animatronically beautiful creature, sentient, social, cultural, uh, matriarchal, um, a a superb animal by any uh, way or means, Um, being made to go through circus tricks, jumping through a hoop. Are they easily, Um, are they... Are they more easily tamed than other whales, or are they just more portable? Uh, what brings them into the circus? Uh, it, it's sadly, um, <clears throat> I think historically they've been sort of, quote, easier to catch because they, they're in pods, they come close to the shore, ah. um, they're very inquisitive, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they'll approach humans, and that's obviously part of the story that we're going to come on to. Yes. Um, what, I, I don't know, Jeroen probably has an idea about that as well. When was your... Go on, please, yes. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what what makes them um, more easy to to have in captivity. I think the the most common cetacean in in captivity is the bottlenose dolphin. Um, Orcas are also part of the dolphin family, the the largest member of the dolphin family. 
And I think, as Philip mentioned, that just uh, the geographical component that they are close to shore in, in areas where people had a desire to start uh, marine mammal parks make them, uh, uh, yeah, the, sort of an interesting target for this uh, for this industry. And can uh, you? I, I was lucky. Sorry. I was just going to ask if you can tell us the first time you saw one, but I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. So please continue. I was going in the same direction. Ah, to um, do. <laughs> uh, I, I was lucky enough to see my first orca not in captivity, but actually in the in the wild. Um, and it's, um, yeah, actually also the moment that I decided I wanted to be a marine biologist. I was so, um, yeah, touched by that moment. I was with my parents um, in um, in uh, Canada and in British Columbia, and we had booked this. Um, uh, camping trip where you would kayak and sleep out in the wild and then kayak some more and so on and so on. And the first time we were uh, launching the kayaks into the into the water, I, I was one of the youngest members of the group and I, I wanted to be first. So I <laughs> was in front of the line, I jumped in the kayak and the guides pushed me gently uh, into the water. And the moment that I was in uh, this ginormous bull orca Wow. came very close to my kayak. I didn't even know there were orcas so close by and already I, I knew they, they occurred in that area. And it was um, uh, or the male orcas, they have a, a dorsal fin that can be pretty tall, especially on, in adult males. It can grow up to almost two meters, uh, wow. I think around six foot, foot or something like that. And sure. So that means that when you're in a kayak and you're sort of... Uh, your legs are below the waterline, and, <laughs> and um, your 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 waist is above, and you, that means that if you're next to a, an orca bull, you need to look up to see the whale, and that's really something that uh, j just uh, uh, is completely different from all my other whale and dolphin experience, where I always need to bend my head down to see the whales. Right. And, um, that was just a <laughs> magical moment that I, I was lucky enough to share, and my dad was also. Um, very close by and we still talk about that moment and that's also uh yeah as i said before the moment i started um uh, my career as a marine biologist at that and, moment and, and since <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and since then I, i've been lucky enough to see um orcas in different locations as well so i've seen them um, of norway and and then um, in the strait of gibraltar and these different orca groups they all have their own their own specific behaviors and their specific migratory patterns and their um their specific foraging behaviors and prey and at some point these these groups they, they it becomes a cultural thing so they are so specific and they don't mix with other groups and oh. that that area where i saw these first orcas in Can canada is actually one of the the school book examples where you have two different groups of orcas that are behaving very differently that have different um dialects and their whistles and and clicks are different from each other and one group feeds on marine mammals and the other one feeds on fish. And these orcas never intermingle. They don't breed. So even on a, on a, on a scale that geographically speaking, they, they are overlapping. They still are separate. And every time when you see a new group of orca, it's so interesting to see what exactly defines this particular group of, uh, of orcas. And so two completely different groups, as you say, off BC there could be two completely different uh, social groups they have no interest in each other they can they even talk to each other Do yeah i know? think it's even more than just social groups i think they call them uh, ecotypes so ecotypes. they are even genetically speaking they're slightly different they have different um uh, migratory routes and 
one of them stays always in the in that small area and the other one the, they call the big killer whales they um they the ones that are feeding on marine mammals they right. they go inshore and offshore more often and, right. and they yeah they they don't understand each other is it normal that we're seeing so many um I mean, it's that's it's the story, one of the stories of the week. But is it normal? Do they travel a lot? Is it normal that we're seeing them in all these different places, or is this out of the ordinary? Are they taking summer vacations where they wouldn't before? Right. Philip, Wh- whoever's talking. Hi. Philip um, <laughs> or Jurgen? Yeah, Philip, you want to? Jurgen. No, you ain't gone. Just gone. Okay. So, um, orcas or killer whales—they are. Uh, basically um, inhabiting all the waters from pole to pole. So you okay. have them in the Arctic, you have them in the Antarctic and everything in between. But in some regions, they have become more scarce and they are just uh, rare visitors, for instance, in my waters. And we had um, a sighting of Nantucket recently as well, where they are also super rare to uh, to occur. And I think, uh, Philip, you know uh, more about the case that, that happens, uh, happened just off uh, Provincetown, right? Um, the sorry, which which case is that? Sorry, you're in the the, uh, the the one with Pat. Oh, with Pat. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Pat, who was my landlady, as it were, or my sea lady, um, it, it, uh, on Commercial Street. She she's well known to most of the town, I think, because I. Bo, uh, John Waters called her Bohemian royalty in Provincetown, and uh, I got to know her actually as I was entering my first vivid phase of uh whale stalking which is what john waters accused me of doing <laughs> um uh and 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 pat sort of uh adopted me as a kind of um surrogate whale i think uh, i think she'd have rather had a whale but she adopted me you exhibited and, whale tendencies did you <laughs> i did yes i did cetacean tendencies um <laughs> I mean, anything anything goes in Provincetown, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so, um, but you know, I, and I saw this photograph uh, on the door of her kitchen cupboard of Pat out in the bay, Cape Cod Bay, well, out in the harbour, in fact, um, kayaking. And I knew she was a, a magnificent kayaker because she had a state-of-the-art Kevlar kayak um, hanging from her the roof of her studio there uh, on on the beach on the bayside. Um, and it was indeed her. She used to, in, in the early 80s, uh, an orca, female orca, appeared in the harbour, um, very inquisitive, hanging round. Um, and Pat started going out to kayak with this orca, um, taking out her laundry marker and making drawings of the orca. Um, and to keep the orca close by, she'd take out flounder and pe- feed the, uh, <laughs> the orca pieces of flounder. And um, she made some amazing drawings of this, of this whale, um, most particularly on, on stones, flat grey stones she found from the beach. And she used the marker to make these really wonderful uh, images of this uh, animal. Because, you know, Pat, Pat was half animal herself. You know, she expected <laughs> me in the way that she expected me to be an animal. And, um, and it was a very kind of sweet story. But then... Other people in the town told me that other people were out there doing much nice, oh, less nice things. Less nice there. things. So, someone apparently poured whiskey in in the in the whale's blowhole. Oh, hole. terrible! And, um, yeah. So, but, but 
the, the, the thinking now is that the this orca was um, had been an escapee from a a a a, 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 a military training oh, wow. um, base uh, because orca uh, were and and still are being used um, uh, in, in military uh, operations. Um, in fact, only the last past week, um, uh, it's been revealed that the Russians have increased their dolphin uh, trainee, trainee um, uh, 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 system and, and are, and are uh, uh, opening up new facilities to train dolphin, um, usually to detect mines. Oh, it is, is, is mostly what they're used for. But, to, um, gosh. Yeah. And and we are, we do have some around uh, at present, don't we? I think there was somebody who um, somebody I give them a name, but uh, there was an orca who took a seal off the beach at Race Point last week. Is that? Did you guys hear about that? I think I didn't. I didn't hear that. I heard there were four orcas seen off Nantucket. Right. I had, did you hear? Did you hear about that, uh, Yurun? Uh, oh no, I, that's new to me. Oh well, I hope I'm not misinforming anybody. I I thought oh, there was no, something that came up about Race Point about a couple of weeks ago, just before the um just we heard before we heard yeah. about the northern, the the northern adventure with orcas, that single man out there in the water. So here it is. That's the question. What what do you think is going on with the orcas and the you know they seem to be doing it around the world knocking over ships not knocking over ships i'm overstating but they they're coming close and uh and the fact that they're matrilineal as well as i think is something very interesting because it seems to be all the uh the grandchildren of the mother going out there and knocking out the boats from what i can understand you're the expert so what what do you think is this just um, a a random exercise of things happening at once that just appear to us to be outlandish, or is it? Uh, do you think it has deeper meaning? Well, uh, we can get to the deeper meaning in a minute, but sure. Yeroon, Yeroon is the man to do this. He 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 knows this story very well. So, uh, and he's actually been to that area. So, yeah, I think so. We've seen more and more reports coming in, also from different regions. But I think. Um, 99% of all the reports that we are seeing are coming from this one population that occurs off the Iberian Peninsula in Europe, off the coast of Portugal and, and Spain, and into the Strait of Gibraltar. And there's a few uh, loose uh, reports coming in in other regions as well. Uh, but maybe these these other reports are um, sort of uh, a bit biased because we have so much attention for these interactions right, right now that right. more and more people bring in a report if they if they see an orca but this this one particular region in the strait of gibraltar gibraltar there's um a small population of orca there around 50 individuals um and 15 of them have now been uh, reported to interact with um with small boats and this behavior was first uh, recorded in 2020 um by um uh, the the offspring of a an, an orca that researchers later named Gladys uh, Blanca. I wanted to talk about Gladys. Gladys, yes. And um, then after it, the, this behavior starting to spread throughout uh, this orca's uh, family, she's the, the mother of, of two, and she has also uh, still has her mother, so the grandmother of the group is also still alive. And later, other family groups within this population of 50 animals uh, started to copy the behavior as well. And we now have uh, multiple family groups and some uh, individuals that are more solitary within the population 
that are showing these interactions uh, with these um, with these ships. Um, last year we had over 200 reports, so that's quite significant. And um, the, the researchers they, they speak of interactions um, um, as opposed to uh, to a sighting. When when an orca is sighted, they they the orcas just go on their way. Um, uh, they don't interact in any way with the, with the vessels. And when they classify it as an interaction, the orcas show a, 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 a strong interest into the boat. So they can be just circling the boat. They can gently nudge it or they can show more of the ramming behavior. This can take uh, up like from a few minutes up to, to very long times. And they often direct their attention towards the, the rudders of the ships. And when, when they um, play with these rudders for a long time, and sometimes there's quite some force involved, these rudders can break off, and often that wow. um, can lead to leaking of the the, the boat. Uh. And, and in three occasions, the the, the boat's even uh, sunk. So, do you think the orcas are engineers? They know what they're doing. They've seen that that piece has some import in the ship. It's, it's always guessing um, what yes. what an animal knows. But, but personally, <laughs> yes. I have I have no doubt that they fully understand that the rudder is um, an integral part of the ship that is involved with. Um, turning and moving the ship. So they, they 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 have been recorded to turn a vessel 180 degrees. They know, I think, I think they know that if they break off the rudder, the ship stops. So I think that these are things that they are highly intelligent animals and, and they have done this on multiple occasions over a few hundreds of times. So I, I think they, they know very well what yes. are the effects of yes. their actions when they interact with these uh, rudders. There was a, a, a radio documentary I heard many years ago, and they talked about uh, species knowledge. I forget which species they were actually studying, but they would point to examples of a species in one part of the world doing something, I don't know, washing corn. I can't even remember, but the part of it was that was interesting is that this, this, um, this habit, this activity would appear in other species halfway across the world, if not all the way at the other side of it. And they were wondering if there was some sort of, um, well, what can you say, right? How does this happen? Is just just luck, circumstance, or intelligence? But there seems to be a bit of that happening with the orcas, from just from the footage. I mean, again, I'm the amateur. You guys are the professionals. But it, it seems like all of a sudden these things are perhaps not all of a sudden but these orcas are doing something in the Iberian Peninsula and then they do some a different pod group of orcas will be doing the similar thing at the other end of the world do, so, do I, so I so I have no doubt that within the Iberian population they they copy from each other so these these orcas are geographically very close right. they interact with 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 different families so I think it's it's quite uh, safe to assume that they have copied from each other. But actually, Philip had has had an interaction with orcas, and and that is so so far away that I, I don't believe there was any copy behavior there. Maybe Philip can tell a bit more about about that one. Yeah, that that was uh, that was uh, now back in two thousand and seventeen. I think uh, myself and my dive partner uh, Andrew Sutton were. Uh, eight nautical miles off sh off Sri Lanka uh, in the Indian Ocean. Um, we've been diving that morning with a pod of 150 sperm whales. Um, I know it's a hard job, but someone has to do it. <laughs> and um, they were on their spring break. So they were behaving as 
um, American teenagers do on their spring break. Well, how do you mean they were on spring break? They were what well, did... well, they'd come, they'd cut, they, 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 they aren't, they, they, they were, uh, they were almost on holidays. It were they were, uh, they were, um, they were, uh, they were having sex. Oh, um, voila, voila. Quite, okay, I did quite know... a lot. Yes, to the extent that they were actually doing it under our boat apparently <laughs> either because they didn't care or because they like people watching i don't know or or, uh, or, or know. maybe is maybe like putting on their socks it might not have any you know it might not have an influence in their act you know it could just be a random thing that they did and that they didn't well even, yeah i but, mean you know uh, but you tell me well uh, this this <clears throat> The, this, this past spring, you will have seen off Race Point, right, right, Herring, Herring Cove, yes. yeah, right whales doing exactly the same. Right, whales, whales love sex; they love it, <laughs> and uh, they so, spend hours doing. Good for um, them. Good for them. Good for them. Absolutely yeah. good for them. Yeah. So anyway, so we we were with these very chill uh, group of sperm whales, then suddenly about thirty of them took off very quickly into the distance, and we thought, oh, they're obviously going off to some orgy up there. Uh, so we followed them, being the um, uh, 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 peep show fanatics that we are. <laughs> and uh, and, um, and uh, when we reached the point where they'd stopped, they gathered round in a group of 30 um, together, these whales, around um, females and calves. And they were packed in tight. And Drew and I got off the boat, started you know, diving, swimming towards the whales. And we realized you were in being... the you were in the water swimming towards the whales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we were about, I don't know, about uh, 50 yards away from them, getting mm -hmm. closer. Mm -hmm. And then we suddenly realized that at either side of the whales were was a pod of orca, one pod on one side and one pod on the other. And this pod, these two pods of orcas were diving underneath the sperm whales and trying to predate the calves in the middle of the group and the, the the males the males are you know they're sexually dimorphic animals as males are substantially bigger than females mm -hmm. had create a kind of wall of whale blubber and you know <laughs> sperm whale blubber is a meter thick and it's wow. tough and they created this kind of defensive wall and they were also defecating to create a kind of cloud of confusion. Wow. Um, to, um, and also slapping their tails. And their tails are the most dangerous part of a sperm whale. Um, they really whack down, you know. Uh, Homer Melville said they were, uh, they were enough to dispatch a man into oblivion, um, <laughs> as indeed they would. Right. Um, so we saw these, we just, this panorama playing out before our eyes, these amazing sperm whales, gathered in this kind of like a Roman centurion sort of formation. I'm sorry to uh, project all these um, uh, bellicose uh, 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 anthropogenic projections onto these animals, but it's how it seemed to us. Yes, and then these, uh, your and impression, then these for sure. These sleek black and white animals diving amongst themselves. And we thought we were going to, I don't know what we thought, but uh, all, all, the, all the decisions were taken away from the situation when two of the orcas peeled off and started heading directly at us. So wow. Drew, being, Drew, being a much more sensible person than me, um, <laughs> ho hoiked me out of the water, threw me back in the boat, basically. He's a big bloke. And, um, and uh, he got out as well. Um, 
not i mean the the, the, the whole the Anyone who knows about orca uh, knows the story. No orca has ever harmed a human being in the wild. It's not to say they haven't done so in captivity, right. which they have. Right, but that's but a different story. Wild. Yeah, but, so that's an important thing is, to remind our listener of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. They never have harmed a human in the wild. Um, but so we watched this drama play out as these orca try to protect these sperm whales. And those sperm whales are so tight, so uh, obviously determined because they're protecting right. uh, the, the, the tribe, as it were. Um, and eventually one of the pod gave up, swam off. And the other pod circled around a bit and then moved off a little bit to the north. So again, being gluttons for punishment, we followed them and they started doing a lot of uh, surface active uh, surface activity, sort of jumping around, spy hopping, flippers, uh, slapping their tails, being very active. And uh, so we sort of pulled up quite close to them. And then they started to swim around us and around us and around us, closer oh. and closer and closer. One of them, or maybe more oh. than one, it's difficult to tell, yes. um, rammed the boat. And we're on a tiny 19-foot fiberglass fishing boat, Sri Lankan fishing boat with no life raft no life belts no flares nothing no you know oh. uh, so oh um this is all getting quite scary and it sounds it, everyone, yes. <laughs> there was only there were only four of us on the boat and three three people were looking over to to the port side and i was looking to starboard uh, so i was only the, the only person looking in that direction and then five of the orca came charging directly at the Jeez. side of the boat and i knew exactly what they were doing because i'd watched david attenborough on blue planet when they filmed <laughs> orca in the antarctic trying to flip a seal off an ice floe uh and into the water and then eat them oh, and, dear. and they're, so, they're, they're so clever the orca because they're, yes. they're never gonna they're never going to um endanger themselves so they don't actually touch the ice floe they create a compression wave which flips you know a, little, a mini tsunami to flip the ice floe off so they don't even have to you know they just open their mouths and it's sushi for lunch but the, in this case... They have they, engineering they, minds. Oh, yeah. They, they didn't flip us. I mean, I really thought they were going to do that. Uh, but they didn't flip us. So that really speaks to this notion that it possibly all this behavior is playing. Now, one remarkable thing about that is, um, for any of your geographically aware listeners uh, will, will know, Sri Lanka is a long way away from the Antarctic. It's as far away from the polar ice caps as you can get mm -hmm. and yet and yet this this technique has only been observed in antarctic orca and only a few members of those uh, orcas at that you may be less than a hundred possibly i think it's as few as 50. um so how had that information how had that behavior how had that fashion how had that kind of culture transferred you know, half, half across, halfway across the globe yes. to the equatorial waters of India. So, the, yeah, uh, that that, uh, that was the question that I was speaking of earlier. Yeah. What what I think yeah. they call it species knowledge. How does yeah. that transmit? Yeah, it's the most extraordinary thing. It's the most, and just for me, because the first whale I saw was an orca, and I felt so sad about seeing that captive orca that actually I'd given up on whales. And it wasn't until I came to Provincetown the first time to visit John Waters. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was going back and I, I went on a whale watch boat, on one of the dolphin whale watch boats, and saw my first whale in the wild. And I was 
reconverted i was <laughs> i was completely messianic about it you know and started showing john my photographs of whales he says that's just whale porn <laughs> and um and, and so so sudden so for my suddenly my next my only other encounter with orca to be in the water with these whales which actually <laughs> playing with us i mean i yes. do think they were playing with us touring however, touring I, with however, you However, I do have to add that yes. the, the Sri Lankan scientist on board with us had his hydrophone, his underwater microphone, dangling in the water. Yes. And when he, pulled, when he pulled the cable up after the whales had gone, it had been bitten off. <laughs> That'll teach you. Yeah, you had to sign a release before you record us. <laughs> so, so these stories that we're suddenly hearing that are popping up everywhere, so they, are they... They're not so out of the ordinary, even though we're so fascinated by them right now and they're in the news and on Instagram and TikToks and all of that. Do we do we think this is just because we're noticing it or does there seem to be some sort of um, uh, concentration of these activities at this point? I, I definitely think the, the letter. So... So this, uh, this again, this uh, population around the Iberian Peninsula, th there it's a new behavior and the numbers are unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh -huh. um, this is like hundreds per, per year with ships actually sinking. This is completely new. Um, as Philip stated, um, these animals are not known to, to harm human humans in, in, the, in a scenario that's in the wild, only in captivity. So... Um, when boats started sinking, it, it, it becomes uh, more and more um, into this uh, paradigm of, of, of orcas uh, harming humans. Mm -hmm. But still, the, 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 the interaction have only focused on boats and never on the, on the humans inside. If these orcas wanted to sink uh, Philip's boat in the Indian Ocean or a small sailing vessel of, uh, of Portugal... I have no doubt that they can easily do it. They are very powerful and they are very large. They, they, they have many options to, uh, <laughs> to harm us. And then um, because this, this behavior of this population is, is um, getting so much media attention, I think people pay more attention to, um, to these kind of behaviors popping up elsewhere. And two weeks ago, we had a report um, a little bit closer to where Philip and I live um, in the Northern North Sea, just um, off Scotland. There's a small island group, uh, the Shetlands, and um, halfway between this island group and Norway, there was a, a Dutch sailor uh, sailing on his own. He had a, a line out fishing for some mackerel, some uh, sort of a smaller fish that, that occurs in, in that area. And he reported exactly the same uh, type of behavior as uh, people described for um, uh, the Iberian population, where uh, an orca was hitting the boat, hitting the rudder, repeatedly staying around the boat for a little bit longer and then taking off again in the distance. And this time it was just a, a single orca, but the, the likelihood that it belongs to this Iberian population is almost almost zero. Mm -hmm. it's, um, th there's orcas in that region as well. They, they, they feed on uh, this mackerel and on herring. Um, very different group from the Iberian uh, population. And the question there is like, okay, geographically, it's um, depending on how you look at it, it's around 2,000 miles uh, apart. And um, there are some populations in between that we don't know that much about. Mm -hmm. um, some scientists have suggested that it is not um, impossible that this behavior has sort of leapfrogged 
uh, across different populations and is now seen in in um in a completely new population in a new region but i immediately have to add that this has only been a single report so it's completely not comparable with uh what we see um, in the strait of gibraltar where yes. it happens uh, yes yeah very often Oof. and if you um if you compare this um with historical uh sightings so the one from philip is the only one i've heard uh in the uh in the indian ocean mm -hmm. and there, there has been also um uh, an account i think um of argentina somewhere in um in southern america south america where um uh people were actually uh stranded at sea for a long time when the, their their vessel was sunk and it's sort of a famous story there and also the the sinking was caused by orcas and i think uh -huh. the most the, the 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 oldest report that we've seen is from 1820 so the, the, the Philip already mentioned uh, uh, Melville, uh, the writer of Moby Dick. Yes. And Moby Dick is, of course, the, the, the most famous will that, that um, uh, let's say, interacted with ships, although I think uh, <laughs> in, the, in the story it's definitely attacking ships. Uh, but that's based on a true story about the Essex uh, that right. was sunk by a, a sperm whale in the Pacific. And the, the, the crew that survived this attack, they were in their... Um, in their um, little lifeboats and they they were later again attacked by uh, by orcas and i think that's the first time uh this kind of interaction was uh, uh described as far as, I, as as far as i know so so they're not looking for food and they don't seem to want your friendship they're just is that just their idea their game of volleyball do you think well, that it's just entertainment for them because i mean um, Philip has spoken, and I'm sure uh, Jörn understands on the same idea because of all the work you've done. Um, it always astounds me when Philip talks about how there are cultures, there are whale cultures, um, and that we don't understand them. And you say, you, you tell us how far back they go. Do you think there's, do we know, is there, like, as Jörn said earlier, we can't know what's going on in the head of an animal, but what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think if you consider you know these are animals which get to be a hundred years old. Um, yes, and they have this culture. It's like the you know the uh, Australian Aboriginal culture goes back sixty thousand years. Um, uh, that's as a kind of a trace memory, almost a genetic memory, which you trace in their culture. So if these animals have a culture and it's not expressed as far as we know, in a creative way. So there's, you know, but we don't know. We don't know. Could there possibly hmm. be a, a, a some way, a, a kind of storytelling, a uh, kind of storytelling of the time when, you know, there are grandmothers around now who would have been around when the seas were quiet, when there were no... Uh, um, seismic surveys for oil when there was no military sonar there wasn't incessant tr incessant traffic across the atlantic ocean for instance i mean remember i'm sure you remember i know Jeroen uh, would do and I'm sure you would remember too mary that um during the uh, terrible events of of 9 11 when they closed the shipping lanes between uh, boston and europe um the whales who were being recorded by the Centre for Coastal Studies had stopped shouting. They'd stopped shouting. Oh, Philip. 
Yeah. So if you imagine the kind of stress on these animals, mm. and, but yet a memory of the time when that wasn't the case. Possibly. I mean, I, I'm really, really projecting in a very... Of course, but agenda. that's that's why you're with yeah. us, because because yeah. of your mind. <laughs> so, and you too, so your what, so, so what effect does that have when things start to become so intensely um, uh, impacting on them now? You know, noise pollution is by far the worst thing. I, I, I think your own would agree for a whale because they live in a world of sound they're physically connected by sound they feel one another through sound you know orca vocalizations like sperm whales like dolphins um all the toothed whales um and the baleen whales as well they um they are connected over tens of miles a fin whale in the Caribbean can be heard by another fin whale of Ireland. No. Yeah. So you're, wow. you're talking about uh, things which are beyond human ken in a way. Yes. Um, so I don't rule anything out. I don't rule out a sense of orca frustration or dislocation right. about the idea of this quite intense, um, uh, 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 intense piece of territory they concentrated piece of territory specifically at the Strait of Gibraltar where oh, you know, right. Spain and Africa meet and this is kind of compression and it's the same compression that's creating this terrible roots of migratory of people migrating human people escaping uh, tyranny or poverty yes to yes. get to Europe um, when at the same time you've got billionaire yachts going on at the same time, you've got uh, traditional fish, fishing folk who Jeroen has witnessed there. And then you've got whales who have always been there. Whale culture has always been there. What does that create? It's a kind of mayhem, really. It's a kind of pandemonium. Um, and so that, that's what I, uh, that's what I, uh, I think in, in terms of... You know, how, how, the only way we're going to understand... This world is by trying to project ourselves into their culture. And that's the way we understand other people, um, everything, really. So and I, I think, you know, and I think um, that that's why it's important to ask the questions you're asking, actually, Mary. Oh, thank you. If I can add to that. Please um, do. Please I do. Think, I think also from um, uh, a more biological point of view, this this evolution of culture has been uh, shown recently in, in, in multiple studies. Um, it, it starts very simple. For instance, um, if we look at humpback whales, we see that um, the newborn calves, they follow their mom on their migratory route to uh, foraging grounds. And when they become independent of their mom, we see that they migrate towards the self, the same uh, foraging grounds as their mom did. It's something we call a maternal site fidelity. And so these, this knowledge of migratory routes and and um, and uh, yeah, where is it best to eat? Where is it best to to spend your summer or the the spring break? As, as Philip uh, mentioned, it <laughs> this is this is transferred from generation upon generation, and that's something that we see in many animal species. But the the, the deeper we look into into this uh, with with the cetaceans, is that we see that this uh, type of uh, learned behaviors is influencing their evolution so we see that 
for instance, if if we circle back to these different overlapping orca uh, ecotypes of the coast of uh, British Columbia, we see that they are genetically different. And that's the same with the orcas we see in the Strait of Gibraltar. They are genetically different. And that's because of their culture, because of the behavior, they are sort of um, um, yeah, turning into slightly different um, creatures than their cousins that live just a little bit further away, or in the case um, of of uh, British Columbia, in, in exactly the same region. So without any geographical barriers, yes. we see sort of an, a new driver for speciation that is um, uh, yeah, sort of uh, directed by this cultural aspect. And if we zoom in a bit uh, more on these orcas of the Iberian Peninsula, they have a very specific um, uh, uh, prey items, very specific migratory routes. Um, they always occur in this small area, relatively small area off the coast of Portugal into the Strait of Gibraltar and off the coast of Morocco. Mm-hmm. And they, they follow basically their prey. And their prey there is bluefin tuna. It's a commercially very interesting fish, very, very valuable. Right. And these orcas there have, have learned um, um, a bit longer ago than these uh, attacks. I think it's a, around a decade or two ago that they, that they started doing this is that um, you can steal these fish from fishermen, and that's a, 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 a very easy way to get your prey. So these fishermen there, they use nets, but they also steal uh, fish with long lines. Um, and when these tuna are uh, hooked, uh, sometimes the orcas swim up to the line and they sort of steal the fish away from the fishermen. So <laughs> these fishermen, of course, are not happy th- with that. No. Yeah, and so these fishermen start to react to that. And that, that's also been documented on many occasions is that they try to uh, deter the orcas and sometimes this can become um, right. quite violent as well. These, the course, orcas yeah. have um, uh, also accidentally, um, the, the orcas are entangled by nets and, and lines. With, there's even been um, uh, records of amputations of, of flippers and fins. So this interaction both ways is sort of um, uh, yeah, very negative for, for both the fishermen on one side and the orcas on, on the other side. And this uh, creates sort of this tension mm-hmm. and then could perhaps lead to even lead to an and now I'm starting to speculate is sort of an aversion towards these smaller boats like you uh, you you are always uh, chasing the same fish and now there's fewer and fewer fish you see that these boats take them it's not a a, a rare thing to 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 think that maybe these orcas are now developing an aversion against these ships uh, and alternatively is is the the hypothesis that philip mentioned earlier is that this is some sort of curiosity towards these these um smaller ships yes um and that is again supported by some lines of evidence as well so what we see is that the the orcas that are uh, ramming these rudders are mostly the the younger members of the family groups and uh, these younger members are often associated with uh, more playful or curious behavior yes so in that way, you start to to see these two parallel hypotheses of what is driving these animals to to start this this interaction. On one side, the curiosity, which is supported by the younger animals, but on the other side, you see so many of these interactions occurring that just just based on curiosity might not be enough. And on the other side, you see that there is this this uh, this tension between fisheries and orcas on the of other course, side, which yeah. may have. Um, triggered this, uh, like this aver- ha- aversive behavior towards the ships. Now, you, you you used the word once, and then I think you corrected yourself. I, I resist using the word attack because for sharks or for these fellows as well, because we're in their living room, right? 
It's if yeah. do you, do you consider them attacks or? I personally, I don't. I I I've tried to follow the the nomenclature of the researchers there, and with they they call it an interaction, and I think that's what it is. An attack. Um, it's definitely not an attack on humans. So there's there's no intention of hurting humans. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can uh, discuss if if they're trying to attack a ship, so they want to uh, neutralize a ship in any way. But that's also quite speculative. So right. I think the safest thing to do is 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 call it an interaction. And as as we stated before, I think it can be very well just be um, curiosity and. If you compare this behavior, so this is this is the, the top predator in in the in the marine environment. If you get into the water with them, as as Philip did, and, and um, uh, there's many people doing it. There's like a whole tourism industry based on it of Norway, where you swim with killer whales. <laughs> if you get into the water with these animals, yes. So that happens regularly, even with the the the, the orcas of the of the Iberian population. And there has been zero records of an orca hurting a human. Now, if you if you compare this to the top predators on land, like if you would uh, interact with um, uh, a group of lions or, or a pack of wolves <laughs> that is, is in the middle of, of um, okay. hunting, and you just, you know, <laughs> s- stroll down uh, the group to see what's going on and take some photographs, I oh, think the, the results would be very different than what we see from the, the orcas. That is so brilliant. No one has made that point. No one has made that point. What the hell do you expect? What the hell do you expect? It's just, I don't know. Anyway. So if if the orcas actually wanted to attack us, Yes, they easily could do it. And and even even if we're on top of a boat, like the boat that Philip described, you know, they could easily flip it. They can easily sink it. They can easily, like, um, for instance, how orcas predate on larger whales, they sort of uh, leap on top of them and try to push them down and drown them. They could wow. they could easily, easily harm us if they if they wanted to. So that's why I think attack um, is not the right word for these type of right. behaviors that we're seeing. Do, do um, orcas have teeth? Like, do they, like, how do they, how do they slay their, their prey? Do they have? Well, a lot, a lot of the time they, they, I mean, they have teeth. They have, you know, conical teeth, uh, like like dolphin. Wait, I see. dolphin. Okay. Yes. But a lot of the time, I think you're in that. Don't they? They 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 kill their prey usually by sort of sort of playing with it by like throwing <laughs> it around. They don't. You know, the, the 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 thing for an orca is like any animal really is is that the the least dangerous aspect of pred- predating preda- predation is the most preferable one. So if they can kill a seal by throwing it up in the air repeatedly, thrash you know yes. thrashing it about in the mouth, you know, they're not they don't want to get they don't want that seal's head. I mean like some of the seals like leopard seals are really vicious. I mean they're equally clo- uh, 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 tenacious predators as orcas. So they don't they don't want to get close to that. I mean it's different with salmon obviously right. um, which a lot but but um and but tuna tuna you know, very strong animals. Um, uh, uh, so, so yeah. So I, I think that's, yeah, that, that that's, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all. I think orcas um, whole uh, 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 choreography. When you see it in action, it really demonstrates 
very visibly their intelligence. Oh, and I intelligence is, is a sort of moot point, but it certainly demonstrates that they are extremely um, uh, organized and, and are um, doing these things with accustomed um, uh, yeah. a, a, a experience. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you say, they, they almost almost like an engineer or something it's, yeah bringing, it sounds very engineering yeah it's done technically there's mm -hmm. a technical brilliance to it yeah i think we're going and i think yes go on i think sorry. we have like uh, two or three minutes left so um circling back to the teeth it depends on what they're what they are feeding on but uh, they definitely have teeth and they definitely use them so ah. um if they're feeding on uh, on larger marine mammals they they use the teeth to take out smaller chunks if they if the orcas feed on smaller fish they might suck them in uh uh whole um there's m multiple um groups of orcas that have very specific diets for instance feeding on penguins or stingrays and then you can see them handling these prey items very delicately, sort of turning the penguins inside out, not having to eat the feathers and then taking the meat and uh, with the stingrays very wow. gently, almost caressing them to, to stay away from the, from the stingers. Wow. So they, they, um, depending on what they eat, um, they use their teeth in different way. And the orca that was stranded here in the Netherlands uh, last year, um, when we had, a uh, after she passed away, we had a closer look at her dentition and, the, the teeth were almost um, grinded down to the gums and there was lots of um, inflammation there as well. And my first thought was like, oh, this must be a mammal eater because uh, she has almost no teeth. And I, I, I sort of assumed that uh, mammal eating orcas would uh, because they use their teeth to rip out yes. pieces of, of mammals uh, yes. would have more worn down teeth. But it's actually the, I learned later that it's the opposite. So especially the fish eaters, they, their teeth touch uh, from the lower jaw, touch the teeth from the upper jaw more often, and that's why you have more wear and tear on the teeth. Huh. So this was an adult, an, an, an adult female that almost had no teeth left. So she must have swum around for a long, long time without any functional dentition whatsoever, and still she managed to uh, to to get this old. Boy, it's just just mystery, isn't it? It's all mystery. I knew some uh, marine biologists who changed their major because they were tired of not seeing the whole of their subject. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, but it's also part of the fun. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I think, well, I'm, gee, gosh, thanks for spending some time with our little radio station here and sharing your expertise on orcas and all things cetacean and storytelling. Um, so I'm going to first thank Maddie Dredd for coming in and taking care of this for us on July 5th, 2023. Who knows what day it'll get broadcast. Thank you, Jeroen Hugendijk from the Netherlands and uh, also a visitor to Provincetown. And then Philip Hoare uh, from Southampton Seas today, I think, uh, also mm for coming along. I, I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a fascinating topic and I just feel so lucky that you guys are available to come on and, and talk, talk whale. It's a great, great pleasure. Yeah, Thank same you. for me. It was lots of fun. Thank you so much for yeah. having us. Wonderful. It's my pleasure. I look forward to meeting you and seeing you. 
Okay, thank you. This is WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown, 91.3 FM Orleans, broadcasting from the historic schoolhouse on Wampanoag Territory and broadcasting around the world to the ships at sea and to you at WOMR.org. Good night.